turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. The scripture here says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, Jeremiah was a prophet ordained by God to preach to the nations and to the nation of Israel and, and of, of Judah. And what had happened was God's people uh, had, uh, they, they had chosen to sin, chosen to be disobedient to God, and, and they really became a wicked and sinful people. And God was going to allow them to be taken into captivity um, as, as a punishment, as judgment for that sin. But God sent prophets to his people during, before that uh, captivity came, and they were, they were preaching to the nation of Israel, trying to draw them back to God and back into a right relationship with the Lord. Part of the message that God gave here to Jeremiah in chapter 9 uh, we find is still a temptation for us today. He says in verse 23, the scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Now we know those three things. Uh, today, there will be those, when you go home and you watch ESPN at this afternoon, there will be people that glory in these three things. They may talk about how much an athlete makes. They might talk about how fast a guy can run or how big a guy is and how well he can block. There, there no doubt today, these are three things that gl- in our society that people glory in. And uh, so... Don't want to get belabor that point, but you see that there. So let not the rich man glory in his riches. But there is something that God says that he wants us to glory in. And so if you uh, have your hand out there at the very first part of it, the introduction, uh, sometimes our temptation is to glory in wisdom, might, and riches. Proverbs twenty five twenty seven here says, It is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. Now, how many of you like Debbie cakes? All right. How many of you like Twinkies? All right, I got, I got a few more hands on the Twinkies. All right, um, I am on a kick right now—a Debbie cake kick on the zebra cakes. How many of you like the zebra cakes? Ah, it's like manna. I was—I was sitting there eating that yesterday. We got you awake now. Like, start talking about Debbie cakes. Yeah. Right. I was eating this Debbie cake, and I thought, I think the Bible says that when the children of Israel ate manna, that man did eat angels' food, and I thought, I think zebra cakes are angels' food. Now, here, here's where I get quirky, all right? And what's wild is we're seeing this a little bit in Chloe with her finicky eating habits. I'm not so much on, like, like Swiss cake rolls. Man, I used to dig Swiss cake rolls. But now just give me the zebra cakes. I want the vanilla. The I'm just a vanilla kind of guy, right? Um, I say all that to say this. Oh, the Bible says, <laughs> how many of you have ever eaten a zebra cake and then you ate another one? And then you're like, man, these are so good. If two is good, four ought to be awesome. And so you eat four. And then you're like, if I ate four of these things, eight should be that much exponentially greater. But you hit a point where you're like, mm-hmm. probably shouldn't eat any more zebra cakes. You know what's interesting? This, that's Bible, all right? The Bible, God says, it is not good to eat much honey. Now, it's, it's really good to eat some honey. But you can hit a point where you're eating too much of a good thing and you get sour to it, right? The Bible says, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. 
And, you know, we just sang the song there where uh, that we glory in the cross of Christ. And Paul said in the New Testament, he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ. Um, Paul said that he, is, he was what he was by the grace of God. And, you know, that's where we stand today as forgiven sinners, forgiven by God's grace, right? I have nothing to glory in. I deserve to be in hell forever. But Jesus Christ loved you and I so much that he came to, the, to this earth bled and died, lived a perfect and sinless life, and died on the cross in our place to offer us that free gift of salvation. And, and I am what I am today by, simply by the grace of God. And so God says there, there are some things that we shouldn't glory in. And again, we're not going to belabor that point because we recognize that it's very prevalent in our culture. Verse 24, he then gives us things that we should glory in. He says, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So God says, if there's something that you ought to be excited about that you know or that you understand, that, that um, and no doubt, I told the Sunday school this morning, no doubt as a parent, I, I'm, I'm hitting that place where my daughter at, at four and a half years old, she's exhibiting certain abilities or skills. She's exhibiting these qualities and characteristics that, that as a dad makes you rejoice. And so I told them, uh, I walked in from work one day, and uh, how many of you have ever seen the refrigerator magnets? That, they're just the letters, the individual letters. And uh, there are different colors to the pack that we got her. And I came home one day, and all the letters were in blobs, but they were all together in color. And there was a blue blob, and a red blob, and a pink blob. And they weren't all like alphabetically, she hadn't gotten to that place yet, but they were all in colors. And I, she was like three years old, and I'm like, proud dad moment you know and uh this past week um shauna had been tossing her uh uh, she's got a foam bat and a foam ball and shauna had been tossing the ball to her she told me she was sitting down when she was doing she's supposed to be resting so she's outside sitting down tossing her the ball and chloe she said chloe hit it and she was hitting that ball and one of the times that she hit it she connected and it went up onto the roof and chloe apparently just thought that was the coolest thing in the world and now she tries to do it and i thought man Four and a half years old, she can connect on a baseball. She, she, she might have some athletic skills, you know. And you just hit that place where, you know, maybe your kid academically or, or uh, uh, socially or, or uh, athletically, they have certain abilities, and, and it's fun to see those things. But where I was challenged on this is um, God wants me as a parent to make sure that my children, that if I'm going to glory, that I glory in this, that they know and understand that he is the Lord. And not only that, but what I want to dive into, there are three specific things about the Lord that we can know and understand. Now, the Bible says that God, his understanding is infinite, that God is an eternal being, that he is infinite. And, and, and God is so great that, that we will spend literally all of eternity worshiping and learning more about who God is. So God, yes, he is beyond our grasp to, to completely comprehend, but there are some things that through His Word, God allows us to know and understand about Him. And so again, uh, very very quickly, number one, God wants us to know that He exercises loving kindness. Uh, and, and I'm just going to give you these, and you can look up the Scriptures on your own. We covered these in, in the uh, adult class this morning. God exercises loving kindness. Loving kindness equals tender regard. That means God looks towards you. He, he has mercy. He has favor. And so if there's something that I want to pass on to my children, it's this, that God... It demonstrates loving kindness, that, that he cares about the particulars in their life, 
that he cares about them every day, that, that he is looking toward them with regard and favor, that, that God didn't just create them and then sit up in the heavens and, and not care about their choices. God loves them and wants them to know him. So he exercises loving kindness. He has tender regard. Letter A, God's loving kindness is marvelous. And uh, you can check that out for yourself later in Psalm 17, 7, that God's loving kindness is marvelous. And something that's marvelous, it makes you stop. It arrests your attention. It, it wakes you up and causes you to focus on that. And so this is a, a characteristic of God that, that we marvel at. Letter B, God's loving kindness is excellent. God's loving kindness is excellent. That means it's superior. It, it, it's a quality that excels. And uh, th- that's part of who God is. Letter C, David knew that he could be forgiven according to God's loving kindness. David knew that he could be forgiven according to God's loving kindness. Psalm 51 Verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy anger, wrath. Was it? Loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The reason this morning, if you do not know Christ by faith as your Savior, the only reason that you could have your sins forgiven and be washed away is because of God's loving kindness. And that was demonstrated for us in the most superior way possible on the cross when Christ died for us. So God has this loving kindness and he demonstrates that. Letter D, God's loving kindness is better than life, is what it says in Psalm 63, 3. And then letter E, God's loving kindness. God's loving kindness, letter E, is good, Psalm 69, 16. It just demonstrates again God's goodness. And then letter F, God will hear our voice according to his loving kindness. That's Psalm 119. Verse 149, the psalmist there says, Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O God. So God will hear our voice according to his loving kindness. And what I said in the Sunday school hour was this. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, when they disobeyed God, from that point on, God could have cast them into hell. God could have allowed us to live, cast us into hell, and he would have been completely right in doing so. God, from that moment on, could have never listened to one more word that a man said. And he would have been completely just in doing so because we had sinned against the Holy God. But according to his loving kindness, he hears us. That an eternal God that created the universe and and cares about your life, that, that he would hear you and listen to you, that's an amazing thing. That's the God that we serve. And so the Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, or verse 24, he says this, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth, and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, exercise loving kindness. So this morning, do you know and understand that God exercises loving kindness? The greatest demonstration of that we've ever seen is by faith. We understand through the scriptures that Jesus Christ, the God man died for us on the cross, was buried. And then three days later rose from the dead to show that he is God and to show that he was the satisfactory payment. The Bible says the propitiation for our sins. It's an amazing demonstration of that. Now, point number two, what the message this morning is this. We're going to look at the, the, the fact that God wants us to know and understand that he exercises judgment. God exercises judgment. Now, many times, because of our culture, again, when you think of God's judgment, you think of Fire and brimstone raining down from heaven and and demolishing cities, right? Uh, I want us to see a a couple of things here about judgment. So 
God wants us to know this about Him, that, that He exercises judgment. So judgment, the definition, is the act of judging, the act or process of the mind in comparing its ideas to find their agreement or disagreement and to ascertain truth, the right or power of passing sentence. And so um, I want us to go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to see a demonstration of a, of a human being, of a person that was given good judgment by God, and we'll see how that was uh, see how that was demonstrated. So, if you would look with me at First Kings chapter three, and you have here King Solomon. We know that this is King David's son, and he was uh, reigning and ruling on the throne here at this time. But when he was young, he made a really awesome decision, and uh, we'll look at that here. So, First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three, and look with me if you would at verse number. We'll, we'll look at verse one. Um, go to verse five. The scripture here says, "In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee.' And Solomon said, Thou hast showed me unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy." according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And so Solomon here, he's, uh, given, he's given an opportunity by God to ask God for anything that you could wish. And you remember, what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And the scripture says, look at verse number uh, eight. He said, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered for, nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. All right, so now we're about to expand upon that definition of judge. What else is it? He says, That I may discern between good and bad. For who is to judge this, thy so great people? So here, a lot of times we hear that God is a God of judgment, and we think of fire and brimstone, we think of the punishment aspect. What God says is, God is a God who discerns between good and bad, good and evil. And what's happened in our culture, and especially more and more with young people, is the moral underpinning of good judgment is being removed from their lives and blocked from a coming into their hearts. And so as it was prophesied, as prophets in the Old Testament would say, judgment is turned away backward. They would, they would talk about how things were upside down and what was evil, people would call good. And what was good, people would call evil. And so today we live in a society where... Um, it is looked at as good that a, a woman would have a quote-unquote right to kill an unborn child in her womb. And we know from the scriptures that is a life and that's murder. And, but, but that's looked upon in our culture as some kind of right that a woman has. And then on the flip side of that, when someone goes out and spears a whale, that's looked at as horribly wrong. And what has happened in our society where God says, okay, go have dominion over the earth. The moral, that moral underpinning has been removed. And so you have people that cannot discern between good and bad. That judgment is lacking. And here's what God says. I want you to glory in this, that you know and understand something about me. 
that I exercise judgment in the earth. And so here, let, let's see an example of this. So that's what Solomon asks for. He says, God, give me judgment and wisdom that I can discern between right and wrong with these people. So here's a specific case that God gives us. This is really fascinating. First Kings chapter three, look at verse 16. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. All right. How many of you realize right away, this is a very interesting situation. Now, Solomon, can he make a judgment based upon the character of one person here and not the other? No, that would be an unjust judgment, right? So both of the people that come to him, do they, on a scale of one to 10, how's their moral character? Like one being really bad. It's like, it's like half, all right? It's down there. So there came two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day that after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Now, Many of you that have heard this account before, you know the, the story. You know what happens, but, but erase that you know this story from your mind and, and think about this. Okay, this is a whole she said, she said, you know, account, right? It, it's she has said this, she has said this. Uh, they're, they're both immoral people. Who, but let me ask you this. Was there still truth to be discerned in this situation? Yeah. And in our culture, you get some really, you know, messed up situations. But is there still truth, biblical truth to be discerned to, to help those people in that situation? Absolutely. So here, look at verse number 23. The scripture said, Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and uh, my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Now, how many of you, that doesn't really seem to solve. Now here, as a guy, how many of you guys, you say, well, that solves the problem. (laughs) Fix it, right? Just get it done. But here, what happens? Verse 25, he's going to divide it. Verse 26, then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king for her bowels yearned upon her son. Notice this. These were immoral people, but there was still a natural yearning for that living, for that child. See, the Bible talks about how in the latter days there, there will be people with unnatural affection. And, and to be in a society where, where um, the killing of babies can be talked about the way that it is, just very clinical, very sterile, that is unnatural. And here, this, this woman, her heart yearns for her child. And, and she would rather, we're going to see here, look at verse 26. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the, so, so the real mother would, think about this, rather than see her child executed, would rather see her child go to this other harlot who she had had a court battle with. Neither one of those options are great. 
verse number 26 says, But the other said, Ah, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. What an amazing display of wisdom to bring out the truth. In verse 28, God gets the credit for that. Look at verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. And the reason that King Solomon was able to make discern was because of the wisdom of God in that moment. And what you and I need in order to discern what to do, what's right in our culture, we need to have the words of God. This, the Bible talks about how the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, easy to be entreated, and, and that we have the wisdom of God in the scriptures. So God exercises judgment. We've seen an example there of King Solomon. Then um, people might say, uh, Matthew 7, 2 there, the Lord Jesus Christ to the, the Pharisees, he said, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And so there are people within Christian, Christian circles that would say, Oh, we ought not to judge. Well, and they might quote a verse like this. And when you put this in context, Jesus is telling them, When you judge other people, you're going to be judged with that same type of judgment. So if you've killed somebody... And then you go out and you act all self-righteous when somebody else kills another person. You ought to look at your own self. And he, he talks about that in the Gospels. He talks about, you know, pull the, the, the beam that is out of your eye before you try to get the little speck out of the little mote out of uh, somebody else's eye. And so he's just talking about not judging hypocritically. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. This is, if you don't have this verse memorized, you ought to memorize this verse. First Corinthians 2, 15 says this, But he that is spiritual... Now, let me ask you, how many of you, all right, so in the Bible, you have spiritual and carnal. Spiritual means you're, you're filled with the Spirit of God. Carnal is fleshly, and the Bible talks about how our carnal mind is enmity against God. That's, that's not where our mind should be. So you have spiritual and carnal. He that is spiritual, how many of you want to be spiritual? What do you need to do? He that is spiritual judgeth a few things. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. And so if you're going to be a spiritual person, if you're going to be a Christ-like person, we have to judge Everything according to God's word, according to God's standard. So a couple of things here about God exercising judgment. Letter A, God's way is judgment. God's way is judgment. Genesis 18, 19, I have that there for you. The scripture says, for I know him. This is, this is the Lord and a couple angels that are with him. And they are about to go destroy Sodom. And they're having a conversation with Abraham at that time. If you remember, Lot had gone. He had pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then he moved into Sodom. And then he moved into the gates and leadership in Sodom. And Lot really messed up his life. He completely messed up his family. And they're about to go destroy Sodom. And they're having a conversation about Abraham before they they go and do this. And the scripture here says, um, For I know him that he will command his children, speaking of Abraham, and his household after him. And that they shall keep the way of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, so God says, Abraham is going to keep the way of the Lord. And then he identifies what the way of the Lord is. To do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. So what God says is, Abraham, he's going to walk in my way. And part of walking in my way is doing justice and judgment. It's discerning rightly. So that's part of the way of following God. Let her be. God is judge of all the earth. What's interesting is when God lets Abraham know that he's about to destroy Sodom, 
uh, Abraham asks this question. He says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now what's interesting is Abraham is about to plead for Sodom and, 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 and say, to tell God, if there are just like 50 righteous people, will you not destroy it? And you remember that number continues to dwindle down. And what's very fascinating about the number that they end up with, if Lot and his family would have just been righteous. Now, we know that the Bible does say later in the New Testament that Lot was a righteous man, and he vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. But if Lot, there were enough people in Lot and his family, if they would have been right with God, that Sodom wouldn't have been destroyed. There were enough daughters and sons-in-law that would have met the last number that they hit when Abraham and God were talking. Lot, Lot didn't even influence his own family. Well, he, he influenced them just in a, in a horrible way. So let her be, God is judge of all the earth. So Abraham identifies here for us. The Holy Spirit lets us know that God is the judge of all the earth. And and this is a rhetorical question, right? Won't the judge of all the earth do right? And um, I think I had mentioned it to to you when we were at the fair ministry this last year. There was a, a lady that had uh, a tattooed up here you know, near her collarbone. She had tattooed, uh, only God can judge me. And I thought that that's interesting that with this tattoo, she is understanding that she is still accountable to somebody. Everyone is accountable to God. Everyone is. Not only is God a judge of all the earth, let her see God is excellent in judgment. Job 37 verse 23 says this about God's judgment. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. Uh, at some point, uh, I wanted to, uh, we'll just mention this here. It's amazing in our culture, the cries for social justice. It's amazing in our culture, the cries for the end of oppression. The end of oppression and true justice will come when Jesus Christ is seated on the throne in Jerusalem, reigning and ruling, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. And what's, what's fascinating to me is people who want justice, they want it, but they don't want Jesus. When Jesus Christ is the one who brings, will bring about complete justice and judgment. And here the Bible says, we saw how God's loving kindness is excellent. God's judgment is excellent. God perfectly discerns between right and wrong every time. Now this should be helpful because sometimes there are things that go wrong in our lives. God has never allowed something in your life and afterwards said, oh, whoops. Have you ever made an oops? You know, you're, you're, you're nailing something all of a sudden poof, right through the end of the drywall. You go, oops. <laughs> Have you ever been driving the car and <laughs> whoops? <laughs> Telephone pole, <laughs> whoops. God's never allowed an oops in your life. He, ha he is excellent in judgment. And so the things that he's allowing, he's in perfect control of. And he's excellent with that. And then letter D, look at this. God's throne is prepared for judgment. God's throne is prepared for judgment, and He is known by the judgment that He executes. Now, this is interesting. Go with me, if you would, to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Let me ask you 
students, how many of you have never been prepared for a class? That's a bummer feeling, isn't it? How many of you have ever gotten a class and you found out, I thought that was next week. You've ever done that, right? How many of you adults, you've ever gotten in and you're like, the presentation's today? That project's due today? That's not what they told me. (laughs) Have you ever been unprepared? It's It's a horrible feeling, right? Unprepared. Now, some of you, how many of you say you respond well to that stress? Yeah, I just want to curl up in a ball and suck my thumb up here. <laughs> Psalm 9, look at this. The scripture says in verse number 1, I will, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. Now, and just keep that phrase in mind. Every time God judges, every time God discerns, every time God makes a judgment call, it is right. He's perfect. Verse 5, Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, and the memorial has perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared His throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. If you look down at verse number 16, the Bible says, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Haggion Selah. So what the Bible says is that God's throne, he's prepared for something. And that something is judgment. God is always ready to judge rightly. And what's interesting is we are told of a couple of times, a couple of counts of future judgment. And can I tell you that God will be prepared for that judgment? There will not be somebody that stands before God and God's going, uh, uh, can we find the paperwork on this kid? God's prepared. He is ready. And we, we kind of joke about that because that would be silly, right? But do you know how many men, women, boys and girls have gone out into eternity And Amos says it this way, prepare to meet thy God. And we will only know in eternity how many people, how many souls have stood before God unprepared for that judgment. God's ready. He's prepared. He has set his throne and it is prepared for judgment. As a believer, are you ready to stand before God? He says here in verse number eight, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. So again, God's judgment, man, have you ever seen a bad call? Have you ever seen a missed call? Like in the Oklahoma game where the guy drops the football a yard out from the end zone and nobody catches it, right? And we go, and it makes news. Why? Because it's like, oh, they missed the call. It happened last night. No one will ever stand before God and say, oh, he missed the call. I'm glad of that. How many of you really hate bad referees? (laughs) It's irritating, right? And sometimes you can lose the game because of a bad call. Now, my philosophy has always been, don't put the refs in that position. Don't let them lose the game for you, all right? That's my philosophy. You can take that or leave it. But, uh, man, I remember in high school, we had a a blown call where uh, we were at Troy. And uh, one of our guys, he took a charge. And what would have happened was if, if he would have gotten the call, he would have put him at the line. We could have beaten Troy and gone on to uh, like a sectional final or, or a division final. But what happened was the ref, not only did he make a bad call, 
he made no call. How many of you have seen that? Like, you know, so in basketball, one, plow, one player just plows into the other. And it's either going to be a block or it's going to be a charge. This was a... And man, I remember our coach, he, it, was one of the, it was one of the angriest I've ever seen our basketball coach. It was pretty awesome. You know, we're all like, and, and what did he say? I mean, in this, this ref, he just, man, call it one way or the other. Don't no call it. And when you and I, when we stand before God, you don't have to worry about God making a bad judgment call or making a no call. God is prepared to judge believers and this world. And he's going to do that, the Bible says, in righteousness. God will never have a bad call. He'll never have a blown call. And so here, uh, if you would look with me at, uh, 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 let me give you, I gave it to you in the handout. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 that's where the Apostle Paul is preaching at Mars Hill. And he's told these people, he went by and he passed their devotions. And he, he saw that they had all of these graven images to these different gods. And they had one to the unknown God. They, they were afraid that they might forget a God, so they made one to the unknown God. And Paul begins to preach to them the unknown God. And, and he talks to them about how he's the creator and uh, he, he is uh, uh, near if they would call on him. And what he says to them in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and he hath raised him from the dead. So this is very interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Holy Spirit makes the point for us. That if Jesus Christ was not risen from the dead, then you're still in your sins and you are without hope and you're without God. That's the point that he makes there. The point that he makes here is that God has given you and I assurance and this world assurance that there is a day appointed in which they will stand before him. And the assurance, the token of that is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He rose from the dead. We will stand before God, and he will judge the world in righteousness. And what's interesting is Paul preached this to many different people. In Acts chapter 24, I give you an example here. He's before Felix. And the Bible says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to what? To come. Felix trembled and answered, uh, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. That was the worst mistake that Felix could have made. Because here's what's going to happen. As you and I give the gospel to people, and we tell them there is a judgment to come, Jesus Christ, we will all stand before Him and give an account. And if you don't know Christ by faith as your Savior, He's going to say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. And you'll be cast into hell. And as we give people the gospel, there ought to be... You say, well, that might offend Him. No, there ought to be a trembling. And what happened was Felix heard the truth and he heard about the resurrection of the dead and resurrection of Christ. And it, it caused him to be afraid. He was, a, he was a ruler at that time. He had power. He had authority. But the truth of the gospel caused him to tremble. But he made the wrong choice. And he said, Paul, you go your way. And when it's convenient, I'll call you. And you know what happened? Two years later, Felix. Felix never does trust Christ as a Savior. There are other people in, the, in Acts there that Paul gives the gospel to. And they say, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And you know what? Almost means that you're not. And Felix made the worst choice. And he is spending, he will spend eternity forever regretting that. So this, this truth of God's justness and judgment 
it, it's to come, and it's something that ought to make an unbeliever tremble. Um, Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 here, the Holy Spirit says uh, through the Scriptures, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and of revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So here's what happens. We, 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 you hear this in our culture. Well, well, if God was so just, why didn't He come down and just put a stop to all the evil? It's coming. He will. But the longer you say no to Jesus Christ, the more wrath you are treasuring up against that day of judgment. Here's the deal. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason that God hasn't come back yet, because He wants to give you, other people, a, a more opportunity to say yes to the gospel before that day of reckoning comes. Isaiah 42, 4 we can take hope with this. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till He have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for His law. There is coming a day in which Jesus Christ will reign and rule on His throne in Jerusalem and it will all be set right. But when you go to work this week, He's not on the throne on the earth yet, but He's on the throne in heaven. And He's in control, but there may be some things and that, that just don't go right and Jesus Christ told us, man, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Letter E there. Believers will stand before Christ and give an account. We talked about these coming judgments. There are two different judgments. It's, it's important to differentiate those. And again, if you've been here any length of time and studied the scriptures, you know there are two different judgments here. Believers will stand before Christ and give an account. Romans chapter 14. The scripture says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now that's true for everybody. The Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. For the believers then, he says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 there, he describes that judgment, 1 Corinthians 3.13. He talks about how our work will be made manifest, it will be tried by fire. And you can either have reward or you can lose reward. But it has nothing to do at that point for the believer, for the person who's trusted Christ, has nothing to do with your eternal salvation has everything to do with reward. The letter F, unbelievers will stand before God and give an account. And this judgment is the one that you do not ever want to stand at. Because Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, the scripture says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So you have the, the Bible says in verse uh, 20, chapter 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And he says, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. At that great white throne judgment, God has a throne that is prepared for judgment. And everybody that stands in that judgment, they will be judged according to their works. And not a single one of them will be, will, will be good enough to enter heaven. All it takes is one sin. Bible talks about for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But for those of us who are believers in Christ, our sins are forgiven. They're washed away. And now, man, we, we get to do things in this life to prepare to meet Jesus Christ. So uh, back to our, uh, and then letter G, I wanted to give this to you. Do you have a God's judgment? It will not be nullified. God's judgment will not be nullified. That means it will not be deprived of authority or force. There will never ever be a philosopher, a comedian, there will never be a rejecter of God that stands before God and says, you ain't judging me. You, you don't have the right. There will, it will, his judgment will not be nullified. Job 40, verse 8 says, the Lord says to Job, gird up thy loins now like a man I will demand of thee. 
and declare thou unto me, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? No. God is holy. He's just. He's perfect. He is a God of judgment. And not just of wrath. When God brings judgment and wrath, it's due. Because every judgment that God makes, discerning between right and wrong, it's, he, He's right every time. And He's given us His Word so we can make right judgments. So like Solomon, we can have the wisdom of God and the mind of God and understand for our lives, uh, as a husband, how ought I to treat my wife? As a wife, how ought you to treat your husband? How, how should I raise my kids? What should I live for? What should I do with my life? God's judgment will not be nullified. So my questions to you this morning are this. Do you know and understand that Jesus Christ exercises loving kindness? We've talked a lot about judgment, but it's cool that God puts the loving kindness first because He wants you to know that He doesn't want to bring that wrath and that hell on you. He paid the penalty so you don't have to face that. His loving kindness. David found that he could be forgiven. Have you found that you can be forgiven because of God's loving kindness? And then as a believer, do you, do, are, you, are you aware of that coming judgment And are you going to be ready for it? What does that mean for you? And at which judgment will you stand before him? These are things God says, when you go home today, glory in this. Be excited that you know this about me. That I demonstrate loving kindness and I demonstrate judgment in the earth. And tonight, Lord willing, we'll look at uh, the third one, which is his righteousness. Are you ready to meet God? You can be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for allowing us to know these things about you.